So read this with me. Tomorrow is the day when idle men work and fools repent. Tomorrow is Satan's today. He cares not what good resolutions you form, if only you fix them for tomorrow. We're just we're in January 21, right? So some of you may have made New Year's resolutions. But as long as you're focusing on December 31 and not January 21, Satan's okay with that. His goal is for you to put off taking any action toward change until tomorrow, because he knows that tomorrow never comes. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Why are you here? I don't mean here in this building. I mean here right now. Like, that might be part of the answer, but why are you here in uh, Loma Linda, January 21, 2022, living the life that you're living right now? I want to take, you, take 30 seconds, talk to your neighbor, talk about a life-defining God moment that has led you to be being here today, and go. A life-defining God moment. <laughs> Tonight, I want to talk to you I want to talk to you about the elements that go into creating a or making up a life-defining God moment. We want to talk about the life, the elements that make up a life-defining God moment. My name is Carl Lindsay. I'm not from here. I'm from Australia. I've been in California for about a year. I have the job of planning mission trips. So if any of you want to come to Guatemala in June, come see me after. Um, But yeah, let's have a prayer and let's get into this. Father God, give us uh, wisdom in this evening, give us uh, clarity of thought, and uh, specifically me, give me clarity of thought and um, tongue, and guide us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Open our ears, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I can still remember the moment like it was yesterday, sitting on the couch, uh, early early December, sunny day in, uh, in Australia, and the sun was streaming in the windows. I had just completed my first year of college. I was fresh out of high school and I'd gone straight into college. I was studying a business degree in management and IT. And picturing myself 10 years down the track, I was looking at maybe having a white picket fence, a favorite sports car, all paid for, of course, by my corporate office job that I was thinking of having, maybe in some high-rise building in Sydney. I was 12 months into what I like to call the Australian version of the American dream. But I was about to encounter a life-defining God moment. God had another plan. I didn't know it then, but he was setting me up for something completely different from what I was imagining. During my second semester, 
at Avondale College, all the school and church events, they were all about the same thing. They all had to see, they all seemed to have a common thread in the message or the theme that was presented. And I went to a Chris Tomlin concert in Sydney and Louis Giglio was there preaching about the same thing again. And this theme that they were talking about was serving others in some capacity. And it wasn't obvious to me at the time, but I only really noticed it when I was looking back at the end of the year. It all added up subconsciously. I was being primed for this moment on the couch in my parents' living room with a magazine. I'd picked up this, uh, the latest ADRA newsletter, Adventist Development and Relief Agency, my parents had received. It was sitting there on the coffee table, and I was reading the cover story entitled, Unlike Anywhere Else. It was a short article sharing the stark reality of life in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, to be more specific. I'd seen pictures and videos on TV. I'd heard the mission stories. Uh, so I knew that lots of people were living in poverty, but my 19-year-old brain, it had no idea. It didn't have any understanding of what life looked like for so many across that dark continent. The article was only short. It uh, helped me paint a picture, though, for in a language that I could understand. That language was numbers and statistics. In high school, I loved maths, I hated English, and I'll tell you a little secret. When I, one of my uh, exams that I ended, yeah, sorry, I was writing an essay in an English exam, and I ended it with the Pythagorean theorem, because I, was, I ran out of time, I said, and A squared plus B squared equals C squared. <laughs> so that was my conclusion to a paper uh, in an outburst of a mathematician's frustration. Um, my teacher wasn't thrilled, to say the least. But to suffice to say, I, I understood statistics much more uh, at that time. They spoke to me more than they might to others. And in this article, there were five statistics. One of them has stuck with me for over a decade now. If we put it on the screen, Australians feed more money into parking meters each hour than nearly half the world's population makes in a day. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't know what the numbers are today. That's obviously over 10 years old. Um, but the idea that we were putting money into something as frivolous as parking fees every hour and have it compared to almost half the world population's daily income, it blew me away. That comparison was enough to have me reconsidering or thinking differently about my career choices just a few minutes later. God had my attention. I left the couch to get my laptop and I looked into a different field of study and within a few days I had acted. I had changed my major, I'd given up my pursuit of the white picket fence and I'd set my heart on Africa. Clearly this isn't Africa, but life has a way of uh, taking you down a journey. But I have been to Africa many, many times uh, in those 10 years. But tonight I want to talk about three important elements that go into these life-defining God moments. And the first is this, pay attention. God moments only happen when we are paying attention. We have to be looking for the little miracles, the little moments in life when God is showing up in the details. If you start noticing that there are some themes showing up in conversations that you have, in sermons, in Instagram posts, or any other content that you're kind of consuming, 
don't let yourself get distracted because it's those moments where God might be just priming you for a big moment in the near future. Number two is think differently. Life-defining moments usually happen at a point of a paradigm shift. Something hits you out of nowhere, uh, like it did me with, those, with that article. Other times, it's a slow change. But at some point, you realize your priorities have shifted somehow. Like maybe you've become a parent and all of a sudden you're like, wow, my kid is everything and nothing else matters anymore. Uh, or maybe you've changed your mind about something. You no longer value the same things in the same way you did just last week. So that's our that's, uh, think different. The third one is take action. We can't just think differently about something and leave it at that. A friend once told me these simple yet wise words, nothing changes if nothing changes. Simple but wise. To cement this in as a moment that will change the course of your life, you have to act now. You have to take action quickly. I'm not saying it should be a carefully thought out, I'm not saying it shouldn't be a carefully thought out or prayed through decision. But if you have been paying attention, then you probably already know that God is in this moment and there's only one thing left to do, to walk through the open door. So those are the three steps. Pay attention, think differently, and take action. But if it is a true God moment, the devil's going to be right there. We know that. And he's going to be there attempting to thwart us at every single one of those steps. So if God's wanting you to pay attention to what he's trying to tell you, Satan's there trying to distract you. We live in an age of distraction, right? It happened to me countless times while writing this sermon, like, I've got an idea, and then a text comes in, I'm like, ah, it's gone. <laughs> notification after notification, notica- notification after notification, we get pulled away from the important things. Is it for you? What is it for you? Is it Facebook, Instagram, TikTok? Netflix, Disney+, Plus, YouTube, there's, there's countless others too. Is it some combination of these, all of the above? So that, that's, the, that's what the devil's doing with distraction. Then he's taking those distractions and he sucks you into an echo chamber. He doesn't want you to think differently at all. He, doesn't, he wants to keep you from ever changing your mind. In addition to being in an age of distraction, we're also in an age of tribalism. Our tribe versus their tribe. Our ideas versus their ideas. We are right and they are wrong. If you start to think differently about something, he knows you could start, the devil knows that you could start thinking differently about anything, including your relationship with God. And thirdly, he doesn't want you to take any action. In fact, Satan is hell-bent on keeping you from making any changes. He'd rather you put off those changes until later. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I found this commentary in, or the, uh, this quote in the commentary on the book of Hebrews, I think it was, and I thought it was really profound. So read this with me. Tomorrow is the day when idle men work and fools repent. Tomorrow is Satan's today. He cares not what good resolutions you form, if only you fix them for tomorrow. We're, just, we're in January 21, right? So some of you may have made New Year's resolutions. But as long as you're focusing on December 31 and not January 21, 
Satan's okay with that. His goal is for you to put off taking any action toward change until tomorrow, because he knows that tomorrow never comes. When I read the Bible, I find so many stories of people who have followed these three steps that we talked about, paying attention, uh, thinking differently, and taking action. Looking back, right back in Genesis 6, we read about Noah. He was paying attention to God unlike literally everybody else. And so God called him to make an ark to ride out the storm. So he felled the trees and got to work. He took action. Abraham, in Genesis 12, was living in a city filled with people who didn't know God. But when God called, he was paying attention. So much so that God called him out of the city to a place that he would reveal to him in time. He didn't know where he was going. He just stepped out in faith and he went. He answered the call, packed up his things and left. Only God was his guide. Exodus 3, we read Moses meeting God at the burning bush. He was paying enough attention to allow God to speak into his life. He wasn't ready to think differently or act. But with a bit of convincing on God's part, Moses was willing to think differently and act eventually. And he went on to become the spokesperson, spokesperson for God, for an entire nation and to Pharaoh as well. Further down we, in, the book, uh, in the Bible, we see people like Gideon in the book of Judges. These guys were called to think, all those judges were called to think differently from the rest of society in a time when no one was paying much attention to God at all. The prophet Samuel, he had his life-defining moment as a young boy when God called him out in the night. He eventually worked out who was actually talking to him and he replied, speak Lord for your servant is listening. He was paying attention. From that day forward, he continued paying attention as a prophet of God. A few centuries later, Daniel was exiled as a young man to Babylon. Surrounded by polytheism and societal pressures, he kept his attention on God and, and what God was doing in his life and the world around him. And because of this, he was able to share God with those around him, with even the king, the ruler of the empire. few decades from then, Queen Esther found herself at her own life-defining moment. By paying attention to the time, she realized that she was in a position for such a time as this, right? And she was willing to go against the law and act, to speak up on behalf of God's people. And then the New Testament, in the Gospels, we read of Mary, the teenage mother, the teenage girl who became the mother to the Son of God, to unexpectedly yet willingly go from being a daughter to a mother-to-be, while still unmarried, took a significant paradigm shift, took thinking differently. And we can't skip the apostles. Saul, on the road to Damascus, while en route to bring death to the early Christian believers, God got his attention, and to his credit, Saul was willing to repent, to think differently about everything he believed, and he changed direction, became one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament and the Apostle of God. And finally, Peter, when he was resting on the rooftop in Joppa, I'm fairly certain he had no intention of preaching to the Gentiles just a few days later. But a few days later, he found himself in the presence of a Roman centurion, uh, where, the, where he was, the centurion and his family and friends were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You may not have heard all these stories, 
But for many, these characters are our heroes of faith. We look at the way they followed God's leading, and because we've had those, we've read the stories before, we know what's on the next page. We think it, it's easy to think that we knew, that they knew what they would, what was going to happen to them in their own future. Some of them were prophets, yes, but they they were talking about what was going to happen to Israel five, ten years down the track. They didn't know what was going to happen to them the very next day. So it wasn't an easy life. And that's why, because it wasn't easy, that's why there's a bunch of people who failed too. They had closed ears. They got stuck at step one, not paying attention. People like Pharaoh wouldn't listen to what God was trying to say. King Ahab refused to pay attention to what God was saying through uh, the prophet Elijah. Think of Jonah. He refused to preach uh, when he was called to the city of Nineveh. The whole Israelite nation... They wouldn't listen to what God was, was trying to tell them. And when the Son of God came to Israel, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, wouldn't listen. So much so that they killed him. The list goes on. The Bible is full of both kinds of stories. And just like today, the devil was working to distract them too, to keep them from expanding their thinking and to, for them to delay making changes. I'm not sure which list your life-defining moments would appear on. That's between you and God. Maybe you have moments on both lists. As I was thinking back through my life, what I realized was the moments that are on the second list, the moments when we choose not to answer God's call, these times can really only be analyzed in hindsight. They don't necessarily show up in the moment. And we skip over making note of them in our brains, in our memory banks, because they don't stand out as crucial moments worth looking back on in years to come. And this is because in our own paradigm, we don't have anything to compare it to. What I mean by that is we can look at the immediate consequences of an, uh, an event. We can say, this happened because I did that, or that happened because I didn't do this, uh, but when we choose to ignore God's call, when they're not necessarily life or death uh, situations, life often just keeps going as if nothing had ever happened, just as we might have expected it to. But something does change. We lose a what-might-have-been possibility. Maybe it was a significant opportunity, maybe not. But, it was but with every choice, we lose possibilities. Some of you may have heard the story of Hazen Foss. He was one of the many people who were bitterly disappointed in 1844 when Jesus did not come back to take them home. Around this time, I think it was before the disappointment, he received a vision from God. And God instructed him uh, during the vision to share what he had seen with others. But he held back in fear of scorn and ridicule from others. All the people at that time were ridiculing the, these Advent believers. So he refused to obey the call of God on his heart. God persisted and came again to him in vision and told him that if he would not share, the burden would be passed on to someone else. At this, Foss was still unwilling to share the message. 
He actually told God outright, I'm not going to do it. At this, a voice said to him, okay, you've grieved away the Spirit of the Lord. Realizing what had just happened, his stubbornness horrified him, and he changed his mind. He tried to share the, he tried to share the vision. He called a meeting with people, uh, and they all came together. He told them what had happened, and then he started to sh- share the vision that he'd had, and he could not remember a single scene. A few months later, Ellen Harmon, who later became Ellen White, had the opportunity to share the first visions that she had received at a meeting in Foster's town. He would not come in, he just stood back at the door. But as he was listening intently, he said to someone standing nearby, he said, what she's saying, what the vision she's sharing is what I saw a few months ago. The next morning he said to Alan, he said, I heard you talk last night. I believe the visions are taken from me and given to you. I was proud and unreconciled to the disappointment. I murmured against God and wished myself dead. But you are chosen of God. Be faithful in doing your work, and the crown I might have had, you will receive. Stories like that really make you think, don't they? Because we can look back on Ellen White's life now, and we can see that she, had, she went on to have over 2,000 more visions, and she had an instrumental role in the founding of our church's denomination. And then we can compare that to Hazen Foss and the rest of his life, who apparently he never engaged in spiritual matters again. So there's the moment there, the imagine what might have been if he had have said yes, but instead he declined the call. So what I want you to understand tonight is that when you pay attention to what God is saying, when you think differently and you act on God's call, radical, amazing things start to happen in your life. That doesn't mean your life's going to be a walk in the park. But you will look back like I do on the last 10 years and I can say, I wouldn't have it any other way. The scripture reading was the call of Isaiah. Thank you for reading that. Uh, So you know I was going to get there eventually. But before we do, I want to highlight something from the message of John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, we read John shows up in the Judean wilderness. He has a message to the people. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent in the Greek is metanoeo, and it means to change one's mind, or a definition I like, uh, to think differently. You see, John was calling them to think differently about the kingdom of heaven and to pay close attention because it has come near. He knew that Jesus was about to show up and present a kingdom that they was, was far from the minds of those early Jewish uh, or believers or early Jewish people there in that first century. And at that time, he also appealed to them to act on their repentance, their act on their thinking differently. And he asked them to come forward in baptism there at the River Jordan. So I think repentance is one of the most important ways that we can think differently about our present reality. It also gives us an opportunity to consider our future reality too. And this is evident in the call of Isaiah. So let's read uh, that. But actually, before we get there, a little bit about the context. Isaiah started his prophetic ministry when King Isaiah was on the throne. 
The Bible tells us that the king's uh, name and fame had spread far and wide, and he had become quite powerful. He'd become quite prideful. And his pride led for it to his downfall. The nation was soon in shambles. And in the year of Isaiah's death, the young prophet was standing there in the temple, pondering how hopeless his task seemed to be as a prophet. And at that point, he was given a vision of God seated on the throne. King Isaiah might be dead, but God was still alive and God was still king. Ellen White wrote at that time, let's read this passage here. By their apostasy, speaking of the Israelite nation, uh, and a, by their apostasy and rebellion, those who should have been standing as light bearers among the nations were inviting the judgments of God. The outlook of, was particularly discouraging as regards to the social conditions of the people. In their desire for gain, men were adding house to house and field to field. Iniquitous practices had become so prevalent among all classes that the few who remained true to God were often tempted to lose heart to give way to discouragement and despair. Yet Isaiah, he was one of the few who were committed to giving God his full attention. And so when God reveals himself, Isaiah is ready. So let's read that passage again, Isaiah 6 through 1 through 4. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. I'm just thinking about that. If they were flying, they weren't standing, were they? And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is sitting there. He is one of the few, he feels like he's one of the few good guys left. Yet as we read on, we see that he finds himself in the throne room of God, and then he's also all of a sudden humbled and suddenly very afraid. The vision of God has caused him to think differently about reality. He realizes that he is a broken man living in a broken society. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is his paradigm shift. This is his cry of repentance. He realizes that all his goodness in the, midst of, in the presence of God is just filthy rags. But... God doesn't leave him there in that state for very long. Immediately, forgiveness and redemption is offered from the altar. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Maybe that's you tonight. You're living in a broken world, in a broken society, but you're learning to rely on the solid truth that God is still king. But in the presence of God as king, you feel like you're unworthy. You're a complete broken mess. But know this, your redemption price has already been paid. You are valuable. God forgave you 2,000 years ago. And right now, he's 
He wants you to repent, to think differently. And he's waiting for you to open your ears to hear the voice of the Lord. That's what we see next. This is the point that Isaiah hears the voice of God calling out. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord, he says, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah comes to this point and after seeing God on the throne and experiencing this paradigm shift, he's willing to act and he responds with surrender to God's call. I want to read to you what Oswald Chambers writes about this text in his classic devotional, uh, My Utmost for His Highest. God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Rather, Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? The call of God is not for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears. And exactly what I hear depends on my spiritual attitude. Jesus said in Matthew 22, many are called and few are chosen. That is, few prove that they are the chosen ones, he says. The chosen ones are those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have had their spiritual condition changed and their ears opened. Then they hear the voice of the Lord continually asking, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Who will go for us? That's God's continual cry. However, God doesn't single out someone and say, now you go. He did not force his will on Isaiah. Isaiah was in the presence of God and he overheard the call. His response performed in complete freedom could only be to say, here am I, send me. Then he finishes with this. He says, if we allow the Holy Spirit to bring us face to face with God, we too will hear what Isaiah heard, the voice of the Lord. And in perfect freedom, we too will say, here am I, send me. In other words, God's call of Isaiah is actually God's call to everyone. He's looking for anyone to answer the call, any of us who hear it, any of us who are paying attention. But it depends on the condition of our ears and our spiritual attitude. It's like Jesus said many times, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. May that be us here tonight. Then Chambers talked about those who have had their spiritual condition changed. These are the people who have begun to think differently. And finally, to God's call, these are the people who act. They say in complete freedom, here am I, send me. God's call is not a directive, it's a question. Who will go for us? And once we, once we hear it, heaven forbid we ignore it or reject it like Hazen Foss. Because I guarantee it won't leave us the same. It will become another life-defining God moment that sets up a new series of experiences as we live out life following uh, God's lead with willingness, with a willing heart. Band can come up when they're ready. But I was thinking about it, you know, we live in a similar conversation, a similar context to Isaiah. We've had two rough years and some of them, some of us here might be tempted to despair with all the disease, the unrest, the uncertainties. But I want to assure, assure you tonight God is still king, 
God is still alive. He's still on the throne. And He wants you involved in what He is doing in this world. I've recently been asking myself, am I paying attention now? Because I want more of what I've had. Those moments when I talked about 10 years ago, I want that like every week. So I'm striving to keep paying attention. I want to go where God has prepared my path. I don't know where you're stuck tonight, which of these three steps it is for you. Do you find it hard to pay attention? In the seasons when I'm paying attention best, I, know hint, I notice hints at the spiritual everywhere. But it's so easy to drift away from communicating and relying on God on a daily basis. It just takes a break in the routine and our best intentions get interrupted. Sometimes it's just plain laziness. Um, like I said before, some of you made New, New Year's resolutions, potentially. Some of you may be deciding to get to the end of Revelation by December 31. But did you know that Inc. Magazine says that this time of year, most people abandon their resolutions by January 19. That was two days ago. Maybe you've already given up. Your focus can't be what you're going to have achieved by December 31. You should be reading the Bible for today. You've got to focus on what you can do towards your goal today, whatever it is. So if you're struggling to pay attention to the spiritual, my question for you is this. What can you do today to pay more attention to what God is trying to say in your life? Maybe it's, what about those who are struggling to think different? Because we live in a world today where we're not needing to think. We don't have to think for ourselves. Everything is fed to us on a silver platter almost. Everything's running on emotions, even in the church. Thinking the same as everyone else can be dangerous for our souls. God designed us to think and He designed us to think differently. So in what ways can you repent or think differently about your life tonight? Is there a paradigm shift that you feel God nudging you towards? Maybe your thinking patterns are stuck in a toxic cycle. Are they held there by old beliefs that you find difficult to let go? If that's you, my question for you is this. What can you do to break free of the dictates of the world and give control back to your own mind, your own brain? And finally, the acting piece. Maybe you're at a point where you've had your paradigm shift moment, but you just can't seem to put one foot in front of the other. You know you need to do something different, but you're not sure what it is you need to do. Kind of like Abraham. He was called to leave Ur of the Chaldees, didn't know where he was going, but he acted anyway. That's kind of where we are. If I'm honest, this is the one I resonate with the most. I've sensed God nudging me. I've done the thinking and the rethinking. But I'm hesitating with those first steps. Have you thought about what's holding you back? Maybe you need a helping hand. I want to encourage you guys. Come talk to Pastor Austin, Pastor Phil. They can also help you find a therapist. Maybe that's something you need to help you keep accountable on the journey. You know, when I make a phone call, the person on the other end of the line may or may not be near their phone. 
They may not be paying attention, but the call is still coming in. And if they do notice the call, then they can choose to answer or ignore the call. Pastor Phil hasn't answered his phone yet. <laughs> Pastor Phil, God's, telling, God's looking for people to go for him. What do you say? Let's go. I'll let him know. He wasn't paying attention. We got his attention eventually. <laughs> but I want to make the same invitation to each of you tonight. Will you be paying attention when God calls you to go? Maybe one of these calls of, of Jesus is resonating on your heart. He said to the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. To the freed demoniac on the other side of the lake, he said, go, go back home and tell your story. And to his band of followers on the mountain, right before he left, he said, go and make disciples. I don't know where God is calling you to go, but I do know that he's calling. He wants to know who will go for him. What do you say? Are you up for the adventure? Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.